Scripture reading today comes from Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then from selected verses in John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with oil and wiped her feet with his wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he who you, whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is the word of God, and it is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. And uh, as many of us say up here, uh, many of you have been new recently here to Hope Chapel. And if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, would uh, love to visit with you afterwards, maybe. Uh, so come seek me out. I'll try to spot you myself. We'll see how it goes, right? Um, well, we've been in the Beatitudes. We just started last week. And being in this series reminded me of a U2 song where uh, it's called Get Out of Your Own Way. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. But at the end of that song, they kind of do their own spin or twist on the, the Beatitudes, okay? So here's what it says at the end of that song. Blessed are the arrogant, for theirs is the kingdom of their own company. Blessed are the superstars, for the magnificence in their light, we understand better our own insignificance. Blessed are the filthy rich, for you can only truly own what you give away, like your pain. Blessed are the bullies, for one day they will have to stand up to themselves. Blessed are the liars, for the truth can be awkward. Don't ask me to explain what each of those mean in great detail. But one thing is for sure, they certainly turn some ideas on their heads, right? And get you to kind of think in an upside down way and try to say, what does that mean? And in the same way, that's what the real Beatitudes should do to us. Living in this world, living in our culture, it should force us to kind of think of things upside down and try to align ourselves with the way God is truly at work in the world, with what he values in the world, with what he says is important, with what he cares about. 
with what he cares about, where our hearts and our minds are. And a lot of times, that is upside down to what our culture and the world says. And the Bible says some strange things about mourning uh, that are countercultural. I mean, with this beatitude, it's strange that through mourning, we find comfort and shalom, that we find peace through the mourning that we do in this world, and that we will be comforted by our Lord because of our mourning. Not many of us are excited to go through mourning times, right? Uh, but that we will be comforted is an upside-down thing to this world. We don't think of mourning leading to comfort. And in Ecclesiastes, we read things like, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. And in that same chapter, chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So what do we do with this stuff? I mean, if this is the kind of stuff where God is leading us to, and that's upside down to what we're used to thinking, what, what do we need to do with that? Well, today we're, we're going to spend some time doing two things mainly. We're going to try to reorient ourselves to a right view of mourning. It's going to be good to get ourselves in a good place with all that, right? And we're going to remind ourselves of the comfort we receive from our Lord. Because if I know that comfort's not going to come through the mourning that the Lord at some level says it's wise to go to, if I know that there's not going to be comfort there, it's going to be hard to go there, right? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever, and you are faithful to all generations. You are faithful to our generation right now, and we thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of much unfaithfulness by us, Lord Jesus. So we come to you today, and we say, please do a mighty work. We trust your word and your spirit to have all the power. So we lay ourselves at your feet and ask you to please sharpen us and help us to grow in love uh, for you and others. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So reorienting ourselves to a right view of mourning. Ultimately... And this makes sense, but sometimes we may not think of it this way. But ultimately, mourning only exists because sin exists in the world. Would we have anything to mourn if sin did not exist in the world? No, we wouldn't. So there's really three types of mourning that we do in relation to sin, the sin that exists in the world. First one is, we can mourn over the effects of sin in the world. So because of the fall and because sin has entered into the world, we have things like natural disasters, tragedies that happen that are outside of anyone's behavior or anything like that. They just happen. 
And the effects of those natural disasters, the effects of sin in the world, are things that are okay for us to mourn. And that's actually one of the easiest things that the world can usually fall in line with, right? In mourning over natural disasters, being sad and upset about those things. Death taking a loved one. Things like that, things like a flood that kills people, takes possessions away. All these kinds of things. We lose things because of sin and the effects of it in the world. We lose people. I mean, when, when my grandma recently died, there was a, that sense of, uh, of course I'm sad to see my, my grandma die. And at the same time, there, there was like another layer of it. Of That was my last grandparent. And I know some of you have experienced that and have even ex- experienced your last parent dying. And it's like when you cross a threshold like that, where, oh, there's no one else from that generation in my family, in my life like that. Like there's a sense of loss in that. And for us to go to the Lord with that and talk to him about that and seek comfort from him is a good thing. And he will comfort us in relation to these things because of the effects of the sin of the world. The harshness of the world, the pain people experience, death and decay, these are things that we can go to the Lord to seek comfort about. So mourning over the effects of sin in the world. We also can mourn over the sin of others. There's lots of sin out there that people are committing. Every single day. Just in our own homes, we see it. Right? With our spouses, with our kids, with other people who may live in our homes. Ezra, in uh, Ezra chapter 10, says, Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehananan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. So here was Ezra helping to rebuild the temple with others and seeing the faithlessness of people. And he was mourning over that. The sin of others towards us. We mourn over how others, their sin has affected us. And when people's sin affects us, the Lord wants us to turn to him as quickly as we can to seek comfort about those things. Maybe it's words that people said to us. Maybe it's uh, some kind of physical harm that someone did to us. This is good, healthy mourning over these things. And we should seek the Lord for comfort about those things that people do to us. He wants us to. He says that we'll be blessed by going through that mourning and seeking him about it. Also observing the sin that others do to one another. So it may not be towards us, but we see people sinning against each other. And we should mourn over that. I mean, I heard in the news this past week that there was a a couple in Las Vegas who put their kids in cages and beat them and starve them to discipline them. And 
you know, we hear different reports like that that come out, but it's like when you hear that, you're like, oh, Lord. And you you think about those children so helpless. I mean, when we hear things like that, it should lead us to the Lord. To seek comfort in our own spirits, to seek the comfort of those people in prayer. If we're in a position to be able to do something about something we see, we should consider ourselves possibly agents of the Lord to help bring comfort to people and mourn with them. We should mourn over someone in a, in a much smaller way than that example I just gave, but you know, mourning over someone making fun of someone else because of a character or physical flaw, gossiping about people. And when we join in the laughter or in the, uh, the act of doing those things, we're not mourning over what we should mourn. We're celebrating. We're going to the house of mirth over something that needs mourning. So when we join in the making fun and piling on people, we're not letting something hit us with the gravity that it should. Because in God's economy, in God's way that he's working in the world, he would want us to mourn over such things and not celebrate them and laugh over them. Lastly, we should mourn over our own sin. And uh, Harrison, this is what's amazing about the Beatitudes, before I say this example, because um, the Beatitudes really overlap a lot together. Those who are uh, poor in spirit are also those who mourn. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are also those who mourn, in a lot of ways, right? So when we mourn over our own sin, a great picture of that is the tax collector Uh, In the passage that Harrison was taking us through last week, when Jesus told the parable, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So this man is mourning over his sin. And we should be doing the same thing. Because in the end, mourning over our sin keeps us in right perspective before God and others. It reminds us that we need Jesus desperately. It's not like once we come to know Jesus for the first time, that then we cease to sin and cease to recognize our need for him. Yes, once we come to know him and our faith is in him, it's not like um, we need to keep thinking that we need to keep coming to him for the first time. No, we've been justified by our faith in him. 
before God. But we need to keep remembering that that's why we need him. It's because we're a sinner. That's why we needed to come to him in the first place. So it's going to be good that we mourn over our sin because it's going to keep us realizing how needy we are. And it's going to keep us in a good place before others, and we're not going to be like this guy, this Pharisee, who's looking down on other people in their struggles, in their sin struggles. Do you see how there's actually like a two-sided thing to mourning over our sin and mourning over the sin of others? Because then there's, it's not, it, it keeps us from lording over people. It keeps us from thinking that we're better than they are. Because First of all, there's a sense of, okay, Lord, apart from you, I'm messed up and I could be far worse than this person. Any goodness I have in me comes from you. And then when I think about them, instead of thinking how terrible they are and how messed up they are and how frustrated I am with them, there's a sense of mourning over the things that they're struggling with and asking the Lord to help them and for me to maybe be part of helping them. So mourning over our sin puts us in right perspective. And it is, isn't it amazing that to have the justification of God through the gospel is the best comfort we can have in this life. To have justification before the Lord through the gospel. He comforts us through that. We mourn over our sin, we turn to a Savior. And he comforts us in that. Now, the thing is, we're going to have a hard time doing those things, mourning over the effects of sin in the world, mourning over the sin of others, and mourning over our own sin if we don't recognize how our culture and we twist things. The culture can sometimes teach us to mourn the wrong things. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But when the culture in the world calls good evil and evil good, then they're going to mourn over things that shouldn't be mourned over. And they're going to be surprised when we don't mourn with them. But they're going to want to try to lead us into mourning certain things. And then we're going to miss out on mourning the things that we should mourn. So one thing that's happened in our culture is just the, the deception of how we treat divorce. I don't know if you remember when Gwyneth Paltrow and uh, Chris Martin got divorced, the lead singer of Coldplay. Um, but the, the phrase that they used to describe their divorce was a conscious uncoupling. Okay? And that's just one way of articulating a lot of the ways in which we have... Um, and I was talking to Michael, when, Michael Van Patter about this sermon. I love this phrase that he said when we were talking. He says that there's been a rebranding of something that we should see as tragic. And honestly, our culture has rebranded marriage in general. So when you rebrand what it's really meant to be, then it's much easier to not treat it as it should be treated when it ends. Because the meaning of it, you've already changed. And so when we come to marriage in an individualistic way, seeking our own primary fulfillment and um, happiness in kind of a, a surfacey way. 
and letting the culture speak into that, boy, marriage is going to get frustrating, isn't it? There's a sense of the, the covenant and the sacrifice and intentionality of what it is and the deeper love that you gain through those things. And so when there's the rebranding of marriage, then we end up rebranding something that's meant to be tragic into something that's not when it ends. And the culture and the world can also lead us to mourn things or carry mournful-like burdens in regards to other things we shouldn't. So when there's lots of values and expectations put on us, you know, and easy ones to say is like the American dream or whatever, but when you buy into all these different things that we feel like we should have to be happy and fulfilled, when we don't get them, then we carry around mournful-like burdens. And we're mourning over things that we're not meant to mourn over. So the twisting there and the buying into that rebranding of what mourning is at some level and what we should mourn, we end up carrying burdens we shouldn't carry. Anybody here carry burdens they feel they're just tired of and they kind of realize, man, this is empty? Yes. I'm thankful for the, another reminder in Ecclesiastes that says there's an appropriate time to laugh and mourn and other things. Ecclesiastes 3, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Kind of in regard to the marriage thing, there are a few times in my life that I remember hearing about the divorce of some people that I was like, I couldn't believe that they got divorced. You know, some Christian couples, you know, not that long ago I heard about a pastor friend and his wife getting divorced. And I'll never forget, like Jody brought that news to me. I was out in the, in the front yard weeding. I'll never forget that. And then she comes out and tells me this. It's just like, you know, it just takes it. You're just like, what? What is happening? You know? And and it's like, I, I didn't know what else to do. You just go to the Lord and you're just like, what is, Lord, help. Help them, help me, help our marriage. I mean, like, there's like, Lord, keep us from that. You know, keep Jody and I from that. That's an appropriate time to mourn. <laughs> Things like that, right? Carrying that is a good thing to carry. And seeking the Lord about it, and he will comfort us. And he will help us. And it is a gift at the, at the second part of this verse where we see that we are blessed because we're going to be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And here I just want to take us through some quick reminders, some little quick snippets of how the Lord is going to comfort us. 
Remember that in Isaiah 53, the prophecy about Christ said that he was going to be a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. That's a part of what's described about our Savior, about what his experience was going to be in our world. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And so if our, if our Savior has gone through those things, he planned to go through those things with us, on our behalf. That means we have a God who knows how to comfort us. And if our Savior went through those things in the world, and we, if we want to be more like Jesus, then that means there's a sense in which we're going we're gonna to be people of sorrow and grief in this world at some level. And I don't know about you, but it's easy to want to go through this life and avoid all of that. Try to avoid it as much as possible. And so then when it comes, it feels like an offense to us. When hard times come, we get impatient with it maybe. We feel like it's, it's getting in the way of the way life really should be. And at some level, yeah, life and eternity with the Lord and his heavenly kingdom, yeah. But in this life here, Jesus was acquainted with these things. And he took these things on himself. And so we should be ready to do the same because he will comfort us. And we can know that he knows what it's like to go through those things. The other awesome thing about this is in our story about Lazarus. And I'll just read briefly this one part, uh, part of what Diane already read. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. You may have thought about this before. But what does Jesus know that nobody else knows in this story? He knows what's going to happen. He knows what he's about to do. And the guy's crying. Jesus is crying. He's weeping. He's deeply moved with everyone. Like he's entering into this with people. But he knows what's going to happen. So if our Savior does that when he's here on earth, come in the flesh, fully God, fully man, how much more is he ready to do that with us? Even though he knows, even the ultimate end, right? It's not like he expects to just gloss over it and say, well, I know what's coming in the end. Yes, there's a sense that that's a comfort in and of itself, that we know we're going to be with the Lord but at the same time that he enters into it with us. I mean, this is, I mean, why would the God of the universe do, I mean, who are we? Who are we compared to him? And he enters into it with us. We also have the promise of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming and being a comforter. The Spirit of God coming to dwell in us. What a gift. To come and be a comforter to us. And then the Spirit intercedes on our behalf in Romans 8. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So even in our mourning, and how many times does this happen to us, right? When something terrible happens, we don't even know. We don't even know what to pray. We just, it's like the, the burden is too big. We don't even know what to specifically ask for. We know it's all out there in this big, huge gob of stuff. And we don't even know what to pray. We're confused. All these, I mean, in our mourning, we don't even know what to do sometimes. But we have the Spirit of God who is interceding on our behalf to pray, to, to talk to the Lord about exactly what we need. What a great gift. And what a comfort to know that even when we can't even articulate things, that the Lord is making sure, I mean, he knows. And how do we know also that we'll be comforted? The Lord has given us one another. So a few weeks ago, Harrison was talking about primary means of God's sovereignty and secondary means of how the Lord's at work. And we are the Lord's secondary means to each other of the Lord providing comfort. So the Lord provides us with one another. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Isn't that amazing? The comfort with which we receive from God is the very thing that we are able to give one another. And so I would ask you the question, how able do you feel you are able to comfort your brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you been seeking the comfort of God? Have you been seeking the Lord to receive comfort in the hard things that you are mourning over? Because sometimes we get stuck in our mourning in such a way we don't seek the Lord. And that makes it very difficult to make it through that, first of all. But then also it makes it difficult. We, don't, we have no comfort to give away. We have no comfort to give to one another. But it's a great gift that the Lord gives us each other in this life to be able to be a, a means by which he comforts us. We are to do that as his people. There are many other ways, many other things. There's illustrations in Scripture of the Lord shepherding his people, being like a, a, a mother bird, a mother hen, putting his wings around his chicks, uh, being like a, a comforting presence, like a nursing mother, uh, being like a father who loves and cares for his children. Tons of different imagery of how the Lord comforts us. But I think it's really important for us to remember the, the news, the good news of the gospel. Because 
if he did not spare his own son to save us, to redeem us, to do a great work in our lives. If he did not spare his own son, then why would he not give us all things, including comfort? If he's already come to redeem you and I from the death grip of sin, if he has already come to do that, why wouldn't he also want to comfort us? That's the greatest comfort we can receive. is freedom and life in the gospel. The greatest comfort in this life. So why would he not also comfort us in our mourning and other things? So I pray that we would remember that. And may the Lord help us grow in the grace and knowledge of him. Amen.